This is Just Me, okay. Just Me, okay. Episode one of season two. Season two, we're here. And we're rolling. season two we're back for a whole another year did you miss us of course can Everyone, you can you believe course. i can feel can you it believe? i can feel it through the the waves yeah through like the three people that have asked us when are we coming back you know we heard you and we're here we're, we're here to deliver we aim to please mm-hmm. yeah yeah mm-hmm. okay so welcome back y'all we have another great season ahead of us as you know last season me and Dana spoke on like 10 different topics throughout the season, had a great dialogue. It was wonderful. I think we learned things about each other. Mm-hmm. You learned things about us. It was wonderful. But this year we're trying to evolve the, the season, the podcast a little bit more. We are trying to get friends of ours that can lean into different subjects so that we can hear different perspectives just besides our own. <laughs> Uh, I think it will lead to more dimensional episodes and hopefully provide a bigger, broader education mm-hmm. for all of us. Yes, because it's not just us, okay? Oh, oh I see you what you it? did there. So yeah, good. Yeah, yeah. You're so smart. <laughs> so in light of that, we have a big topic today. Our episode today is about gender. Mm. Ooh. Ooh. How, you know, our relationship with gender, how we break gender down. Gender is a big hot topic in culture and kind of defining our, through our own experiences our, and through cultural codes and norms, how that affects our expression of gender, our relationship to gender, other people's experience of gender, how we express it. And yeah, just getting into it a little bit deeper. And we have a special guest today. Our guest is Hannah Lumen. She is our friend, our, co- our friend, co-worker of many years, yeah. and one of the just best humans we know generally in every aspect of life. Mm-hmm. Uh, so we're so excited to bring her to join us on the podcast. And yeah, KP, do you want to speak to a little bit of why you thought when we do this episode, Hannah's got to be the one to join us? Yeah, for sure. Besides being one of the smartest people I know on this planet if you haven't heard her talk I'm so glad she's on so you can hear her talk but the conversation around gender is always evolving and a lot of people don't know including myself a lot of people don't know what they're doing what they're talking about what the latest terms are like how to approach people how to approach the conversation and Hannah we were working together at an agency and she got the whole agency together and did this awesome presentation around gender and she had this amazing kind of like metaphor called the genderbred person. Anyway, she did this great presentation and she broke down identification of sex and gender and gender expression in a way that was so clear to me that I actually felt more confident leaving the room to have this discussion. Then I just thought, you know, who better than to speak to this topic than her? So, Hannah, Welcome to the podcast. Hi, thank you for having me. A uh, longtime listener, first time caller, so very excited to be here. <laughs> We're pumped to have you. So, can you just tell us a little bit of like, I mean, even the the genderbred analogy 
that you gave and, and your education around this, like, how did this start for you? Like, where, where did you first get your education around this and like figure out that was something you wanted to dive into and understand better? Totally. That tool, the genderbred person, is something that I picked up while working a job at a women's center on a college campus, University of Oregon. Worked there for a couple of years and learned tons about gender and gender issues, which definitely impacted how I see the world and definitely impacted how I understand myself. So yeah, learned a lot of useful language and tools, which as you mentioned, are always changing, but super helpful education that I like to pass on when I can. Nice. Thanks. Thank you for passing it on with us to our (laughs) listeners and yeah, sharing your wisdom with us today. Cool. So we are there. There's a lot to discuss here. So we are going to take a very quick break now that we've introduced everyone and then really dive in. So we will be right back. We are back. We have, I think, a really rich discussion ahead of us. But I think before we get into like the hard hitting questions, Dana, what do do we know about gender? Gender expression, like how far does your knowledge go right now? I would say we know some for sure, but not all. And I think, you know, just to break down some quick hit definitions and sort of parameters around this topic because it can be so broad is that I think we generally know gender is not just what you're born with it kind of is defined by sexual organs and genitalia but also it's more how you identify right and it has historically been binary female male feminine masculine but is not the case and that is you know the conversation that is evolving and has been so enlightening I think to so many people myself and us included and then I think also gender we know it and probably experience it at our most everyday level as something that, you know, is defined by certain rules, codes, norms, and standards of how you identify as a person, how you express yourself socially, in the way you dress, in the way you present, and also ultimately how you behave and the roles you play in your life, in the workplace, in the world in general. So... I think that's what I know about gender. That was pretty good, yeah, that honestly. That was great, Dana. <laughs> I, I was just going to riff and be like, I know I identify as a woman. <laughs> that's uh, something. <laughs> I'm getting there, yeah. And like, I, I think gender is such a obviously hot topic today because the world loves organization. Mm. And a lot of the world still loves living in a binary mindset of being feminine and being masculine or being a woman or a man. And, you know, what I've learned over the past few years, like it's just more on a spectrum than we ever thought. And it's something that I've thought about my whole life because I love kind of like masculine things about myself and I love feminine things about myself. And I've I've always wondered, does this make me less of a woman if I like certain things that aren't deemed feminine and, and things like that? So, so yeah, that's, that's my take is like people who want to live in a binary world about it. But for me, the, the spectrum exists and we're seeing that 
exemplified every day through different kinds of people, the media, all, all of that. But Hannah, I would love for you to break down for the audience in the most <laughs> simple way you can, how, like, how do we categorize gender and expression, sex, all of that stuff? Would love to give it over to you. Totally. Well, first of all, I'm glad you brought up the idea of not knowing it all, because I think none of us know it all, and it changes all the time, like the terms we use to talk about this stuff. It's something that's always evolving. So I definitely don't know it all either. Like this is something where I think we can have a rich discussion even without knowing it all. But I do think it's helpful to define some terms going into the discussion, especially some terms that can get conflated in culture. Mm -hmm. Uh, The first one, Dana, you brought this up, is the idea of sex or anatomical sex. Mm -hmm. Even when I started learning about this topic, sex was often described as a binary of male and female. Today, in most places, when you're born, you're marked at birth as male or female. But even that, there's a lot of factors. There's genitals, which is what people think of as sex, but there's also chromosomes, hormones, Mm. body hair. Sex is actually a spectrum, too. Many people are born intersex, but even people who are assigned female at birth, you take three people, all of them, sex will express itself differently on their body. Then there's gender identity. That's who you are inside. That's how you think about yourself. When people talk about pronouns, they're talking about gender identity. Man, woman, genderqueer, maybe you're non-binary and you reject that spectrum entirely. One thing about gender identity is it is socially constructed. It's not innate. It's not the same as sex. And even if you look globally, uh, all around the world in different cultures, there are cultures that have three or four genders. Even if you look at the U.S., you go back 50 years, what it means to be a woman is different than what it means now. You go back 100 years, it looks completely different. So, yeah, gender is socially constructed, which is not to say it's not real. You know, money is a social construct, and that still (laughs) impacts the way you live your life massively. But it's not innate. It's social. Mm. Gender also really important to say intersects with other identities, your race, your class, your ability, like the way you move through the world isn't just about your gender, it's about all those identities. And then two things that get confused, I think, are gender identity and gender expression. Mm -hmm. Expression is, Dana, you brought this up, really about how you express your gender outwardly to the world. That is clothing, but that is also mannerisms and behaviors and interests and how you interact with other people. That is often thought of as a spectrum masculine to feminine. One thing that's different about that spectrum and gender identity, though, is with expression, you kind of move along that spectrum all the time. Mm. Like, you might wake up in the morning and you are wearing men's basketball shorts and an oversized T-shirt, and then, like, an hour later, you're wearing heels and strutting down the street with a full face of makeup. Like, your gender identity didn't change in that hour, but your expression of it did. Huh. Well, that's kind of what you were talking about, Katie, like feeling along yourself move along that spectrum a bit, yeah. right, with the way that you express like, your gender identity as a woman or leading with a woman, a, a feminine energy may not have changed, but you might want to express yourself or or perform more masculine traits or behaviors or personality on that day so you're kind of moving along that spectrum yeah exactly I I can now understand like when you were saying oh people conflate the two like that's been very hard for me to separate and and we'll talk about it later but like if you identify as a woman but I want to express myself in a masculine way I've asked myself like 
what does that mean for my identity? Like, how do, how do I identify myself in that way? So that's a very helpful breakdown. Yeah, and like, I mean, I'm of the belief that no matter what your identity is, you should be able to express yourself mm-hmm. however you like. Totally. Not everyone's of that belief, unfortunately. But yeah, you can move along that spectrum without your identity changing. The last one, relatively, I think, straightforward for us is sexual orientation. People talk about the Kinsey scale, big study on a scale of zero through six, zero being exclusively heterosexual, six being exclusively homosexual. Most people are actually one through five. Like that is where the vast majority of people are. That's a spectrum. And then Katie, to your point, I think something interesting is the idea that these are not only spectrums, they are spectrums that are independent of each other. Mm. Like they are related. I express my gender in certain ways externally because of my gender identity as a woman, because of my sexual orientation. So there's relation between these spectrums, but they are not like dependent on each other. Just because you have one anatomical sex does not mean your gender is one thing, or just because you have one sexual orientation doesn't mean you express yourself one way only. Right. But would you say that there are people in this world and even probably, you know, decades before when the world was even more kind of like black and white, it felt like all of those things had to be interlocked. Mm -hmm. And it was like, you are either on one side of the spectrum on all these things, or you're on the other side and that is it. Totally. And it's, it's like you said earlier, it's nice to be able to organize the world in simple boxes. (laughs) Like it's nice to have shortcuts and heuristics, but it is so much messier than that. And there's so much that is hard to know. I mean, it's hard to understand why one person's gender is what it is. Like people don't even understand them, uh, themselves. It's intuitive and instinctual and cultural and like scientists can't even explain it. And people don't like things that are unknowable. Like people are afraid of yeah. things that are unknown. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In some ways it's easier to grasp when all of those things are dependent and they are linked. And that is why I don't, I'm sure we've all had that experience of with a parent or with a grandparent or some older person in our orbit kind of saying, I don't understand why her pronouns or their pronouns would be any different from the way that they identify with the way that they dress, right? They're trying to make all of those links like work in one mode. And you kind of have to, as some as someone who's maybe a bit more progressive like I find myself going like but they don't have to fit together (laughs) but they so desperately want to and it's to no one's fault but I think that that's certainly a mentality that has been the norm or the status quo totally agree and you know not to get too heavy but like first of all when we all started working together in this country until the year 2020 you could be fired for your gender expression at work or for being gay that still happens holy shit that was legal, though. Yeah, that was legal, though. That's uh, crazy. I didn't know that. It's nuts. In this year, 2023, 120, over 120 <laughs> bills have been introduced trying to legislate against LGBTQ and mostly trans people and control their expression in the world. Like, this does scare people, and it has become a hot-button issue that certain groups can stoke a lot of fear and anger over. It's, it's definitely more relevant than ever. Yeah, certainly politically weaponized, right? (laughs) Yeah, and I'm sure we could spend all day talking about that, but I know we have, like, deep questions to get to, but the last thing I'll say about it is everyone who is stuck in their ways, I try and approach everyone with some kind of compassion because trauma shows up in 
how people react right. to other things in the world. And so when I see people trying to pass bills like this or just showing their hate for people who might not make sense to them, all I can do is look at them and be like, who hurt you, man? Like, who traumatized you? Who made you feel like everything had to be one side of the spectrum or other to feel safe kind of thing? And I think that's why these conversations are really important. So maybe, you know, you could reach one or two more people and give them a little bit more understanding and let them know it's okay, that things can be messy and, and it's, it's okay. Totally. Yeah, I think you just brought up for me, like, the macro point for me in this topic of that because things are evolving, we are more open, we are exploring where this conversation goes and how these terms even change. It's not about having to understand or mm-hmm. make sense of it as much as it's about acceptance. Ex- and I think retweet. that's, <laughs> that's, that's the rub, right? And that's, that's the tension in those conversations with maybe someone who is coming from a place of fear or trauma or a lack of awareness or consciousness is because they want to understand. They have to make sense of it. But the reality is, is that we're moving into a space where we just need to accept that these things coexist, that things are fluid, that things may change and evolve. And give each other grace. Like, I think we all come from a place of fear in a little sense of mistakes, like being afraid of making mistakes, being afraid of using the wrong terms or not understanding something or not being totally up to speed on everything. And I I think we need to have good intentions and try to do right by other people, but also give each other grace that we're all learning because this is changing all the time. Totally. Absolutely. So transitioning a little bit to kind of, you know, from those bigger terms, macro themes that I think we've established now, just want to understand, and and Hannah, I'd love to hear from you first, you know, what is your personal and past experience with, you know, identifying your gender, your relationship to your gender, and how you express it, uh, how you, you know, portray yourself to the world? Cool, yeah. I guess I'll start with my identity. Mm-hmm. I identify as a woman. I use she, her pronouns, and I identify strongly with being a woman. I know it's a social construct, but I like that term a lot, and I like the history and the meaning and a lot of the traits that women are socialized to have, and I generally get along very well with other women. Yeah, I, I identify strongly with womanhood. I also feel very lucky that I've never felt constrained by that term Mm. uh, to be in a time and a place and a family and a cultural context where I felt nothing but power from being a woman. In terms of expression, expression is so much harder to define than gender. I mean, we're talking about it changes hour by hour it can. I guess my expression has always been kind of not necessarily totally androgynous, but I'd say like mm. feminine of center, you know, grew up as like a tomboy kid, I have always been closer to the middle of the spectrum in terms of like style and expression. Mm-hmm. Though I think I have a lot of feminine girly girl traits, <laughs> my mannerisms and stuff. And yeah, I've always felt that very strongly. That's been a very strong North Star for me. And like the world around me hasn't always been super tolerant of that at certain mm. points in life, but I have sought out spaces where I can be myself. Like, you know, I don't think I would take a job where I had to wear a pencil skirt to work. Mm -hmm. Um, I've definitely sought out spaces where I can live how I want to live. Yeah. Did you ever have an experience, maybe it was your first or just most potent experience, where you felt aware of 
female specific norms or expectations or standards that didn't feel right or authentic to you maybe growing up or even as an adult in certain spaces as you're talking about that maybe you've strayed away from in the past I mean I feel very lucky to have grown up with a family that let me dress myself from the age of like Mm -hmm. two however I wanted yeah it was great I don't know like I think in high school prom is basically doing drag and like having to do (laughs) not just do drag but have like a 15 year old do the worst drag possible on you (laughs) (laughs) really is like a gender punch in the face (laughs) yeah oh god what an uncomfortable time I know there are really bad photos that still exist on Facebook (laughs) (laughs) don't look them up do not look them up (laughs) what about you Katie You want to share your gender identity and then your gender expression? Yes, ma'am. So learning. Yeah, I'm learning. Yeah, no, I and like I'm thinking really hard as you say that. I'm like, yes, yes, yes. I I got it, woman. I'm a woman. Yes, that's how I identify. (laughs) Okay, I think I got that one down. I am a woman. But as I was saying before, the expression of my gender, I like to think that it varies. I'm big on fashion, I'm big on self-expression in general. And on top of that, and in previous podcasts, I've talked about this, this idea of always wanting to show strength in some way. I have very feminine qualities. I'm very sensitive. I'm very in tune with my emotions and I can read a room really well and understand how other people are feeling. And I'm so proud of that. If that's a feminine trait, then like consider me the most feminine, sure. (laughs) But I have always wanted to portray strength in any way that I could. And I've always been also interested in expressing masculine traits because of that. And so whether it was the idea of like going to the gym and physically being really strong or the way that I wear clothes sometimes can come off like a bit edgy and sharp and with the goal of looking a little intimidating. So for a while was like, what does that mean for me as a woman? Does that make my gender more fluid? What like, what is it? And I actually have talked about it in therapy being like, you know, does this, would I ever be like non-binary? But at the end of the day, long story long, I identify as a woman, but I like for my expression of gender to truly be on the spectrum. What about you, Dee? I also identify as a woman. Surprise. (laughs) one in the room. I'm copying all of you. No, just kidding. Yeah, I identify as a woman. I've been lucky enough to not have like too much conflict in that definition and understanding or confusion but I will share like one story that like popped into my head just now as you guys were talking which actually helped me understand some of the like differences in, in terms and how these things get so conflated when I was a kid growing up I was very tomboy I did not like girly things I hated like nail polish I hated the idea of like dolls I hated like all of that so very tomboy growing up and 
the Spice Girls were very popular at this time. And I had, I didn't have any siblings, so my older cousin was a pretty big influence on me. And she loved the Spice Girls. And she was very, a little bit bossy. No shade to Claire, love you girl. But uh, she basically one day was like, what, what's, your, who's your favorite Spice Girl? And I also didn't have a lot of experience with the Spice Girls. So <laughs> I, le- stressful. It's very stressful, yeah. Again, only child vibes, like coming into a girl who was very cultured, very knew what was going very on, uh, for a, for a you know eight year old, and she asked me which one do you like, and I obviously had to post you know the picture of five of them. They're all distinct little personalities, right? And I hated all things girly, so I immediately picked out. Sporty Spice. Always. I was like, I love Sporty Spice. Also, to be clear, I've mentioned this on the podcast before, <laughs> Melanie C has the best voice in the game, okay? No she question. carried that entire team, okay? So I'm about talent as well as looks. <laughs> but anyway, I, not knowing the, the error of my ways, picked the Sporty Spice, and my cousin was like, you're gay. <laughs> like, you must be gay because she is not like the other girls. And it broke me. I mean, it just didn't break me, but I was just like, wait, what? And suddenly I was questioning everything as a small child, like not knowing what was going on and thinking that I had, one, done something wrong, two, didn't know what was the cultural norm and I was somehow outside of it. And then three, it was just like, but that's what I like, so am I in trouble here and it's just like a small microcosm example of like sex sexual orientation getting conflated with gender norms getting conflated with like how you express and portray yourself and it had a real impression on me and growing up I really thought like oh my god does that make me gay because I really Mm -hmm. like pants (laughs) and like don't want to wear a mini skirt and so I think you know that just stuck with me and and it was a weird experience, and now I look back on it, and it's hilarious, but to think that seven- and eight-year-old girls were talking about this. Um, I've heard that association as well. Yeah. Literally with yeah. Sporty Spice and girls that, like, well, gravitate towards is her. Is she, you know, a Sporty Spice fan? Right! <laughs> That is so funny. Yeah. That like, is so funny. We're like, oh. Well, like, I hear you. Like, the, the way that I, t- like, I, you know, my past dating life and things like that, the way that I've talked, the way I've presented myself, I've always been, like, really self-conscious of, like, my dark features. I have kind of an angular, strong face, mm-hmm. things like that. People just, I, I don't know. They seem to guess my sexuality based on my interests and the way I present myself and I'm like one who are you to assume anything but two like yeah the con- the conflation mm-hmm. is real totally and I mean Dana similar to you I remember a time in life where there was nothing that could be worse than being assumed to be gay based oh, on yeah. how you you know dress remember that era. it is funny now to be like a queer 20 something in Brooklyn where like it's so socially acceptable that you want to mark yourself in certain ways where mm-hmm. it's like I it is important to me to be recognizably queer Mm. and to recognize other queer people. And obviously people can express themselves how they want, but like there are codes and gender expression norms that help people recognize each other. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That hits on one of the questions that we wanted to ask of like, how is your relationship? We just talked about like kind of the foundational pieces. We were tomboys. (laughs) We seem to have that all in common. Uh We were all tomboys. We were this, that. We all identify as women. 
but so that's that's the very foundational aspects of when we're younger but like how has your relationship with the way you express your gender changed and evolved was there you know a point in your life where you like you where you were like i'm not expressing myself the way i want to be do- expressing myself mm-hmm. uh, does anyone have like a defining moment where they figured out a little bit more of who they wanted to be and how to express it well, I don't have a defining moment, but I, well, maybe, but I think in college, being in a sorority definitely had, was a moment of awkwardness, and I felt those maybe same lingering tensions that I felt even as a kid, being addressed as, like, being a tomboy or whatever, not feeling completely fit in, and I, it was definitely a time where I felt like I had to perform as a girl as a woman woman with a capital w and pink bows and sexy clothing and sexy shoes and it just felt very inauthentic to me and i think at the time i didn't understand that so it was very just like this is how everyone is but i think like coming out of that and coming into my own in the last few years like that or last few years like I was in sorority yesterday (laughs) (laughs) it's been a second but coming out of that like sort of bubble that was college I think really made me realize like that wasn't me at all and I wanted to go back to my a bit maybe more androgynous not specific style and approach to things and I think that's one example for me of feeling you know required to be a certain way or look a certain way or express a certain way and realizing that that's sort of just in conflict with what I want to present myself as and yeah not really being able to articulate it at the time. You used a very interesting and I think good word in there which was perform Mm. like the idea of putting on a show. Mm. Do you one I guess do you ever feel like there's a joy in the performance like do you ever enjoy performing gender Mm. and then two did you feel like in the sorority or I guess in other places you ever (laughs) had tomatoes thrown at you for performing badly like does that performance ever go wrong I think actually like now when I think back to it I had a bit of like a high like a good positive feeling from performing in the sorority construct and space and time simply because like it made me feel like I belonged like it made me feel especially as someone who's an only child, didn't have a lot of friends growing up, it made me feel part of something and it helped me access a world that I would not normally have been able to. And yeah, it taught me things about girl culture that I didn't know. And I think that was special and I really enjoyed that. So it was rewarding in that way and it afforded me those experiences and those like connections that I wouldn't have had before or otherwise. And then in terms of like, the negative side of it I think yeah that there's a bit of the performance that makes you feel completely distanced from yourself a little bit like I just remember even feeling like we would we have in sorority you have to like you have to recruit people right and there's a whole season of recruitment where you talk to girls all day long and you can play the part and I could play the part of heels, white jeans, cute little top, jewelry, 
from, you know, whatever the Sheehan of the moment was back then, right? Curled hair, I can chant and do a song and dance. Did you do the Bama Rush Talk style? Yes. Whoa. Yes, girl. I can do all that, but when it comes down to sitting next to a girl to have a conversation about what you're interested in and what you like, that's where it turned for me. And I actually tried to be in recruitment leadership so that I didn't have to have as many conversations with girls because I knew it was somewhat inauthentic to me. And it was my way of protecting myself from having to break the facade was to not engage in those conversations and be able to just portray and express outwardly, externally, the that I fit in. So definitely it's like, positive and that it makes you belong but then somehow negative because it makes you stand out which is super contradictory anyone else other experiences of yeah when your expression has been positive or negative I guess this is kind of sparked by what you were just saying I think growing up kind of tomboy kid I think the pendulum kind of swung so far against femininity for a while of like, this is being imposed on me to be girly and I don't want to do that because I don't like being told what to do. Mm. So I'm going to reject all this stuff. And I actually think that's a thing that happens to a lot of people that feminine stuff is bad and we should reject Mm -hmm. femininity because it's bad. Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, it's more acceptable for a woman to dress masculinely usually than for a man to dress femininely. Mm -hmm. Like rejection of femininity is a huge Mm -hmm. thing that I think I was definitely very guilty of for a while. And even more recently getting back in touch with some of that feminine stuff and being Mm like, it's fun to talk about reality TV and Carly Rae Jepsen and yes. stereotypically feminine things. Yeah, I don't know, and paint my nails and wear heels sometimes. Like, it's, you can move along that spectrum, but I definitely think there have been points in life where I've been sort of repelled by femininity yeah. because of, you know, cultural forces, stereotypes about what it means to be feminine. Do you think that the acceptance and celebration of gay culture, like, male gay culture has kind of brought to life in a way how great feminine qualities can be as well? Yeah, I mean, it's interesting. It's, wow, there's a lot of very complex stuff in here. Wait, let me think, let me think, let me think. Yeah, it made me want to ask about, like, because you're calling out specifically male gay culture, but what about, like, female gay culture? Yeah, I mean, that that has been a huge thing, that, like, male gay culture has gained more, I, I would argue, has gained more mainstream like cultural acceptance and people feel very quick to embrace that versus like lesbian culture people I mean people are afraid to say the word lesbian it's crazy well yeah I'm kind of getting at a point and maybe I'll take this out because I don't know if like this is okay but like what I'm trying to get at also is like the privilege of being a man yes Mm. yeah and there's been more acceptance around gay men now who can exude feminine qualities. And we like those men. We enjoy listening to their podcasts. We enjoy watching that TV. Yeah. We enjoy, like, and they've been brought more to the forefront of, like, hey, I like doing my makeup and I like doing my nails too. And it's kind of this reminder. And there, there's a benefit here of, like, hey, it's great, great to be girly. And I think that's kind of what I'm calling out. It's like there's a privilege there. Yes. But also it's bringing 
femini femininity to the forefront in a way that's fun and positive? Yes, it's, it's so complex. Like, I won't go down deep hot take rabbit holes, but there are certain phrases, interests, mannerisms that often originate with black women and then via yes. trans women move into cis male gay spaces and then those men get very famous making those things popular on their podcasts and their tv shows and those men who have other types of institutional privilege in terms of race and gender benefit from that femininity but some of the people who originated that creativity and that femininity don't get massive mainstream acceptance so i think that's a huge yeah political whoa deep like that is like a in yeah that is that is but like that was such an eloquent way of like breaking that down but it also is it's complicated because it is fun and like I, you know i listen to those kind of podcasts and watch those kind of shows and i think the world has benefited from other expressions of gender and people being able to kind of break the mold of like traditional masculinity so yeah. it's not all bad it's just complicated yeah for sure and to go back to the original question of like if if I've benefited from gender, I think as I've been saying this whole podcast, I've kind of like not struggled, but I've always just wanted to express a bunch of sides of myself. But one thing that I've been benefited from in like identifying as a woman and expressing that again is my sense of fashion and and my interest in that. And I will say that when I first started out working at Mother, I was, mm. you know, basically a receptionist doing people's dishes. And my job really wasn't to be heard, but it was to be seen, mm. quite literally. Like the, the receptionists before I started there were two twin models. So I had to fill those shoes. And I was like, okay, challenge accepted. I'm not a model, by the way. And I wish this was a visual medium <laughs> <laughs> that we could show some what examples. we look like right now. Oh, oh. <laughs> but you know, I was like, okay, I'm really gonna lean into what is deemed feminine love of fashion, and I'm gonna show up and I'm gonna express that way, and not use it necessarily as a weapon, but as an opportunity to be at least seen. And through that, and of course, hard work. You know, I was plucked out of that job after nine months and I was asked to be the assistant to, he's never gonna listen to this, to one of the most difficult men that I've ever worked for. But he had a lot of sway and a lot of say in the agency itself. It was like, if you could work for him, you could kind of do whatever. And again, my job was to be seen, not necessarily heard. So leaned into it, I think even more so because we were living more in a fashion space. And I, I worked really hard behind the scenes and but made my presence known through the way that I looked. And I definitely wanted to show up looking cute, definitely wanted to show up looking hot. And I think people looked at me being like, who's that girl that's just getting shit done in the background? And because I didn't have a voice at the time, the way that I looked really helped me get noticed. And so through that, it allowed me to advocate for myself because I've put in the work and you see me and I can have a presence and it was my way into my career. I think what is so cool about that story is that is a story of you using 
gender expression and gender expectations and codes and femininity as a source of power. Like so often, and I don't blame people for doing this, this is just navigating patriarchy, but so often women have to align themselves with masculinity and masculine codes and, you know, I don't know, brag about ordering steak and whiskey and smoking cigars and doing yeah. bro-y things. Like I've seen that as a way to signal power by tapping masculinity. So it's very cool to see you tap power via femininity. Mm-hmm. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, I, I was there at MotherNewYork.com <laughs> and to watch Katie, because you, you were visible, very visible to your point. I had never thought about that, of like your role was to be seen, not heard. That's so true. I didn't put the pieces together then, but you were very visible in that you were always there to pick this executive up from his meetings. You were always there to, you know, you were the gatekeeper, right? Mm-hmm. And people came to you, so they knew they had to get through you to get to him. And you used that power of visibility to craft a presence, and that's a huge transition from just visibility to presence because it, it shows that you have, you know, something to offer. And, yeah, I just remember you in a very small example, like, standing outside of a glass conference room in your, like, clueless, like, outfit, just ready to take this man to his next meeting, sure. But what you were doing was per- portraying power, right, and mm-hmm. saying, I matter, I'm visible, I'm here, I have something to offer this company this space whatever so I think that that is really powerful and and really interesting of just being able to yeah wield that for your own advancement and in so much of the professional spaces we are I think put down or boxed in for the way that we present ourselves as women and for you to be able to extend that just to echo what you said Hannah I think is really really cool Thank you. <laughs> I'm very flattered. Thank you. She's accepting her award. It's nice. <laughs> My flowers. <laughs> um, awesome. Cool. Cool, guys. So, yeah, it sounds like, I mean, understanding gender and in a way how to harness it in the workplace can get us some places, you know, here and there. But I think there are still people that we work with that don't understand gender and expression and, and all these things. So... That was a success story in its own right. But I think, do you guys have any other stories that you want to share in regards to work and gender expression? Honestly, what comes to mind first is this experience I had interning at a creative agency. Me and a male intern, male anatomical, rewind. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You got it. You don't have to be perfect. I know, I know. (laughs) Okay. Experience that comes to mind first for me was working at this creative agency as an intern. In my department, there was me and there was a guy who was interning. And there was a day at work where we both came into the office wearing truly the same outfit, like nearly head to toe, the same outfit, very similar shirt, black pants and sneakers. And I was asked to go home and change because I was told that wearing sneakers at work was not professional. That's crazy. Absolutely crazy. You know, this this guy was not asked to change because that was deemed acceptable and appropriate for his gender, I guess. Mm. And for me, it was not. It's it's just kind of interesting that, like, aligning yourself with masculinity in the workplace sometimes is good, but then sometimes if you do it wrong, is wrong and you get your wrist slapped. And no one, like, writes those rules out, and it's so 
complex when you're allowed to dial mm -hmm. certain things up and certain things down. It's just completely unspoken codes and it depends office to office and culture to culture. Like it's, it's not a fixed thing, but if you don't navigate it correctly, you can be punished for it or rewarded for it. Mm -hmm. And uh, that is stupid, first of all. But I think it's, you hit on something that it's these unspoken codes and it's not just about dress, right? Like that's one, you know, very tangible example. But I think we've talked a lot that, about this on the pod before of, you know, the, the behavioral codes that happen, right? Being told you need to be more aggressive. You need to be more strong and confident. You need to own a room. You need to stand up in front of the presentation to appear dominant you need to da 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 are all kind of more masculine codes and maybe air behaviors that maybe work for a, ma a male leader or someone who identifies as male and identifies with the patriarchal kind of structure but may feel inauthentic to you and especially as a woman or someone who doesn't want to come off as aggressive in order to make their way through their career climb the ladder or appear smart and and in control so i think it also comes down to those like unseen intangible ways that we're often told you need to perform like someone else mm -hmm. or a, a gendered performance in order to succeed mm -hmm. um which as women we're always going to be on our back foot on that and people who identify as women are always going to be on their back foot in that way because we it, the the world is created for men especially the professional world right yeah and i think i was saying this earlier maybe off of the recording but what's frustrating also is having feminine qualities that are really beneficial and add value to the workplace but aren't acknowledged mm -hmm. and aren't seen by everyone because people don't people don't know either what to call it or don't necessarily see it right in front of them or because it's not loud. And so I've always felt like as I've become more of a leader in the workplace that maybe I'm not as valued as other people because I have very quote unquote feminine leadership skills that just aren't recognized, but yet still gets the job done, still provides quality work, still breeds a culture of care and compassion, which I think ultimately gives you your best output, especially working at a creative agency. But to not be seen for certain feminine qualities that you can bring to a team is, is very disheartening and very frustrating. I mean, it's bullshit that those traits are not recognized, but I do have a massive amount of respect that both of you are doing leadership in your own ways with your own traits and not saying I need to chameleon into some masculine leadership style that's taught in you know self-help business books and LinkedIn posts just to succeed in this environment. Again, massive empathy for people who've had to navigate that professional world for centuries. Mm -mm, nope, massive respect for people who have to navigate that professional world for decades. But, but yeah, changing it and like actively encountering friction because of your traits and the way you want to be as a leader it paves the way for other people to get to be feminine and leaders too yeah and I wish some of our male counterparts actually took the time 
to see what we're doing and see the actual benefits and see the actual results versus feeling like they have to exude their, their masculinity or their manhood in, in the room. I think it would make for a better office culture and probably a greater output in general if we could just meet a little bit more in, in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Last thing I'll say on this topic is that it is unfortunate, and I also have a lot of empathy for leaders, female or male, however they identify, that have had to perform in a certain way to get where they are or felt the need to perform to protect themselves or advance themselves. But I think it's hard when those then are those approaches are then taught down mm. because it's it's so conflicting as someone who is very attuned to what people are where they're coming from what what is influencing their behavior but i've had you know leaders who are women kind of say like you need to act like this in order to succeed and it's it's not it's it's sad to see them sort of try to pass those tools down but it's also really hard to make you know, push against those tools and say, okay, well, that's not right for me. What is right? I've had conflicts internally where I'm saying like, oh, I guess I do need to act like that. Like, how do, how do I act like that? How do I find an authentic way to act aggressive and more strong and more commanding? And then having to really reckon with myself and realize that it's okay to not have that same approach, but another approach can be just as powerful and feel, and just as effective and feel more authentic to me. But it's, you know, that uphill battle of creating your own path, which is what this whole thing is about, of like, that is wonderful and exciting because it's like, wow, I see a different opportunity to behave differently, to change the model, to go my own way. But it's also really hard because it's, there's a lot of pressure and a lot of feeling like, doubt you know do I know if I can do this is this the right way or has that mode been succeeding for them because it's the right way so creating your own models is really hard and I have empathy for the people passing down their broken models and I have empathy for the people trying to break those models on their own it's rough yeah okay so I feel like we've like covered kind of like the broader conversation around expression. So I want to double click into jargony word. I don't know. (laughs) I think of like giving a presentation when I say that (laughs) word. Sorry. Let's let's double click to dimensionalize this framework. Oh God, (laughs) no. (laughs) It's Sunday. I'm not working. Okay. But I do, I do want to dive a little bit deeper into us all identifying as women. I think there's no one right way to be a woman, but like, I, w- I want to talk about what being a woman means to each of us as individuals. Like, how, how are you expressing it today? And how is that treating you in this moment? For the listener at home, we are all expressing it by wearing ball gowns right now, <laughs> sitting around recording this. Because that's what it means to be a woman. We're wearing our prom dresses. We are. Tamina. Lace. We all have bumpets. <laughs> bumpets. Oh, God. Who wants to go first? I, I do think there's a shared experience that we all have because we're women. It is very hard to put a pin on what that experience is because obviously we've all moved through the world differently. We all have 
different things we want from our lives. Like it doesn't mean we're all on the same path. So it is very hard to define what the shared traits of being a woman are. But I definitely know with confidence there is some sort of shared experience we have and like thing we relate to because of that identity. Mm-hmm. And just to be clear, my answer, my question is just about how you express it. Mm. Like, I agree. Yes, we all share something in common. We were talking about this before we started recording and like we all kind of had our own like definitions of like what ties us loosely together as women. There's absolutely something. But I just kind of want to prove a point that how you express being a woman is different from how I express being a woman and, and Dana as well and that that's okay. And it, that it goes so much deeper than just, like, I present as a woman. Like, yeah, I guess, like, to kick it off, I think being in a role of leadership right now and reckoning with that, having just gotten married, and having a lot of friends who are having babies is bringing forth to me just, like, at this time in my life, like, a deeper definition of what it means to be a woman or female, like, biologically, culturally, et cetera. I think for me, I I guess I would define it right now as like, yeah, leading with empathy and intuition, those things that are like completely intangible but tend to be relegated to women's skills, women's work, and leaning into that instead of shying away from it, especially in the workplace, but also in, in my personal life. And then I think, yeah, I have like a I'm having a really messy moment with my womanhood right now because of my conflict with motherhood right now. And this idea that I, all my friends are having babies and I'm like, is that even for me? I don't know what to think about that. And it doesn't feel right. And so I'm having a real conflict of like, womanhood being female, identifying as a woman is so tied in with some of those behaviors of becoming a mother, of having kids and how your identity shifts and I think I'm just having a moment where I'm like ugh it sucks to be a woman because those things have so much of an effect on you that you can't control and that you can't it it changes your identity as a woman and I I hate that idea and so I'm yeah I'm in the thick of like a messy conflicted relationship with womanhood because it feels limiting to me feels like there are specific things I have to end up doing and I hate that feeling where I have to become a certain type of woman if I make certain choices and like that's just icky and frustrating to me and I don't know how to solve it yet or how to be articulate about it but that that's my relationship right now with my gender. I think that's very fair like of all the Mm -hmm. gender expectations many have peeled back or fallen away over the last 50 years Mm -hmm. the way we comport ourselves and dress and the types of careers we can have for not everyone but for a lot of women those have changed a lot over the last you know 50 years but there are certain milestones and expectations that are like the ultimate gender expectations finding a man Mm -hmm. marrying that man and having children Mm -hmm. those are still pretty firmly baked and to go against that or to question that is sort of to question what a woman is supposed to do with her life. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, to, to jump off of that, that was like really beautiful and deep. So thank you for sharing that. But it, you know, I'm, we're basically the same age and me and my partner have been together for eight years. 
and I've been very clear from the jump, no marriage, no kids, all that stuff. And we had a whole episode on to have kids or not to have kids. And, you know, women who are usually older than me come straight up to me and say, no kids, why? Rudest question on the face of the earth. But, you know, I've asked back, like, why, why did you have kids? And a lot of times they, they've omitted the actual acknowledgement of because, because I am a woman, but they have always said, because that's what I was expected to do. That's what I thought I was married. So what do you do from there? And it wasn't even a thought in their mind that just because they had the means to produce something, they didn't have to. And that feels like the duty of being a woman. And so different to you in a way, I've always known that I don't want kids and it's never been clearer, but it's never been clearer. And again, brought that up in therapy of like, I still feel like a woman, but women coming up to me asking me about it, are they trying to tell me that I'm less of a woman because of this? And, you know, ultimately we netted out on like, who gives a shit what they think? Their opinion of me is irrelevant. But the answer is no, because you can define your womanhood however you want to. There's no hard and fast rule. So yeah, this has absolutely come up for me, but in a way of like, I am so steadfast in my opinion, but I still 100% identify as a woman, wouldn't change it for the world. I love the community of women that I'm, I'm with. I'm so thankful for them. I put all of them up on a pedestal, like they're the best and I wanna be associated with them. So I know that much about myself. And then I know that every day when I'm expressing myself, I'm also thankful to like identify as a woman because it gives me almost the permission for broader expression. And so I'm really liking it. That's what I have to say. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Thank you. What was the, can we repeat the question? Yeah, totally. I, so I, it, the original question was, we all identify ourselves as, as women. What does that mean to us as individuals? But I think it, another way of seeing it is like, what is your relationship to your womanhood? Okay, yeah, yeah. Right now. I mean, I said this earlier, but I love being a woman. I love that label and that community and that history and other women. There's a lot to love there. I also feel very grateful. I have never felt limited by that. I've never felt like I had to take a certain path or date a certain type of person or express myself in certain ways because of that label. I think it's very powerful and very cool to be like, I'm a woman and I'm wearing men's pants and walking around with a power drill and whatever. Yeah. Like, who cares? Yeah, I I've, feel very grateful to be born in the place and time I was so that I can express myself however I want. You bring up something interesting, both of you, about the idea of like certain experiences or milestones women hit and expect you to hit and talk to you on the street about whether you're going to hit or not, you know, getting married, having kids, etc. I do think there's a part of like the quote unquote women's experience mm -hmm. that I don't always have with people. Like my groups of girlfriends will talk about 
you know, shitty guys they're dating on dating apps and stuff like that. And like, I, I don't have much to say about that because I've never dated men. So that is, I think, a part of a lot of women's experience. But that's not everyone's experience, obviously. And like, I don't think there are any things you have to do mm-hmm. to qualify to be part of this, I don't know, identity community. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I was, I was just thinking, not the answer to your question about how I feel about it now, but how I'd like to feel Aww. about being a woman, identifying as a woman it, this year is, I think being selfish is not a female quality that we're allowed to have and like in you know it's part of the way i'm feeling right now of like why do i have to have kids and why do i have to have all these milestones like i want to be selfish and that is sometimes a male owned quality or behavior and code and i would like for us to be able to be selfish and it be okay with ourselves and also the world i don't know and i know that's like silly and like no we're always fighting it's you know and we need me time and we're so busy (laughs) but like i want i like want to i feel myself wanting to be selfish and and questioning to myself is it is it bad to want to be selfish and have my own career and not have kids and do whatever I want and travel the world and do whatever instead of what I sometimes think is the limiting factor of being a woman is yeah. that you have to end up being a mom or end up giving your life away to your kids or whatever. Yeah, D, I the way I've always because I feel the same exact way and one it's like being self like selfish in the in the day to day of like hey partner like go another room I need me time like that's that's one thing that's like very right, tactical right. but you're talking about she like sheds and stuff. yeah <laughs> <laughs> but like you're talking about being selfish in the face of yeah. society yeah. and willing to be almost judged mm-hmm. for that and I feel the same exact way and what we have in common is we're very good people who try really, really hard to be kind and committed and productive. And like, we always try and do the right thing by others all the time. And me saying, no, I don't want to have kids. No, I don't want to be married or anything. This is the way of living my rebellious life. Like, I, I'm not someone who breaks the rules. I don't like, you know, fucking up other people's plans, but my life belongs to me, and I don't have to do what society has laid out for a woman to do. And so instead of saying it's selfish, I've always seen it as I'm living my life rebelliously because I'm saying no. Like, I'm, I'm just saying no to what society expects of me. Fuck yeah. Yeah, live rebelliously. Let's go. It's true. Like, I don't want to sound corny about it, but like, I'm usually so nice and I'm usually so giving. And so this is me having a harder edge and saying, fuck that shit. I mean, it's so true. Like, what are people going to do? What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Yeah. I I love that. (laughs) (laughs) Live rebelliously. (laughs) What's going to happen? I feel like I am someone who my whole life has been counter to gender expectations and Mm -hmm. has maybe faced some mild social repercussions because of that but at the end of the day I'm like I wouldn't have it any other way I've Mm -hmm. always had that kind of true north star and 
followed that firmly and never changed much for anyone. And I have no regrets about that. So good. I love it. Oh my God. Well, I'm going to end this section on that note because, uh, powerful, 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 powerful shit. Cool. So after the break, we're going to do our first pop-off of the season. First pop-off of the season. Uh Get ready. So we will see you soon. We are back for the first pop-off of season two. You know this segment well. We love it. You love it. The three listeners love it. <laughs> and this is where we, just to recap, this is where we each, and we now have a third guest popping off today, so you get an extra pop-off. Two, two, three for one, three for, three for two. Uh, <laughs> we all know data's not good at math. Three for two. <laughs> yeah, very bad at math. I stand by that. This is where we pop off about something that is frustrating us, that we wish would change, which was different, and we start with, is it just me or blank? We, everyone has one minute of fair game to let it rip, and Katie is going to kick us off today with our first pop-off of the oh season. Oh my god, the pressure. Let's go. And your minute starts now. Okay, so a little bit of a background story, but last night I went out for a birthday party and I was also on shroom chocolates and I didn't feel great and I went home, but I was, you know, still feeling it. So I opened up my phone and I started reading this New Yorker article about the amazing movie, (laughs) Everything Everywhere All at Once. Y'all know it. It's so fucking good. Anyway, the article was about how this movie is an unlikely Oscar frontrunner because this movie has a happy ending and I was so fucking pissed about it. So is it just me or can't we just celebrate a happy ending? Isn't getting to the happy ending the most complex story of all, huh? So like it was saying how, you know, complex characters who whittle themselves away to nothing or deal with major tragedy and don't overcome it are the ones we're celebrating. But we need to applaud examples of people who are doing the work to get to their happy ending. And I am totally going over a minute. So Michelle Yeoh's character in Everything Everywhere, she's up against a problem. They dive to the depths of the issue. They work out a solution that stays true to who they are and, and, and shows love and, and care and bringing a family together as like one would fucking hope for their life. So like, why do we think that resolving a conflict through love and compassion is too easy and not interesting enough of a story? These kinds of things are the hardest and most complex stories of our lives. So. Pain, pain and suffering and the stories that, that go along with it are not the only ones worth of praise. And we need to see the fucking follow through. Mm. We need to let the world see someone overcome the obstacle and actually win. Mm. Ugh, two minutes probably, but you know, fuck it. Preach. Mm. Worth it. Worth, worth the extra it. minute. Worth <laughs> extra minutes. Worth the little hangover that I had today. <laughs> There's so much to unpack there, like why Katie went home early on shrooms. It was calling me. then decided to read an article. In the New Yorker. <laughs> At like 1.30 in the morning, and then I was like, thoughts, thoughts, thoughts. I'm so mad. I was feeling my feelings, as Love I that. always do. Love that journey. The New you. Yorker inspired it in me. Sponsor us. All right. All right. That, that was it. I mean, I hope, do you guys agree? Yeah, it's just me. Totally ag- no, that no. is not just you. It is like there's such a stigma against happy endings as basic or simplistic, and that is not true. Can't people just be happy, man? Can't people just be happy? That is a complex thing to get to. Like you were saying, that does take work. 
All right. And now our special guest, Hannah, is going to have 60 seconds to... How do I see the clock? Oh, we'll tell. She's we'll, got. We'll do some markers. Well, I'll give you like thirty seconds. Can we teach you the speech and debate markers? Ready? What this is, is it? speech and debate culture. Oh, good. Thirty seconds. Fifteen seconds. And then they do ten. Oh, oh okay, my God! All right, so all right. We'll do that for you. Okay, yeah, we well, got it. I'm yes, absolutely kidding. Clearly, there are not. Uh, I'm like, really stressed out. Yes, yes. <laughs> Special edition debate style okay. countdown for Hannah Lumen. There we go. On her 60 second, just me okay, pop off, and your time starts now. Is it just me, or did everybody conveniently forget? that they took pledges and posted very publicly across social media and LinkedIn to not serve on committees, judges panels, Q&A panels with no diversity. Mm. Why am I logging onto LinkedIn and seeing people serving on panels that are all white, all men? It is embarrassing. I recently watched an event from an unnamed trade organization, Mm. 15 men, two women, Everyone was white. It is the fastest way to make your organization look completely out of touch. Mm. It is announcing to the world that you're completely out of touch with all these conversations happening. People who posted these these pledges, did you do that for the external validation with no follow through? In the words of Billy Eichner, for $1, name a woman. Do not serve on a panel with no diversity. Thank you. Is that just me? Yeah. <laughs> Very good. Very good, very good, very good. <laughs> <laughs> Hannah taught us the debate signals for with our hand, like, like literally count down to ten with your ten fingers. And we couldn't do it. And I don't neither know. of us could do it. I put both thumbs down. I was down. like ten, nine, and then I just held Pinkies it on nine. These were everywhere. I don't know. So we totally failed you there, but you did make it under one minute. So good. thank yeah, you. Yeah, you came in at like fifty-eight seconds. Very wow. Good. I know my signals. You, you guys want to judge a regional uh, debate tournament? <laughs> Anytime. As long as the panel's diverse. Yeah, right. <laughs> as long as the judges' table is diverse. I love that one. Hold them accountable. Hold everyone accountable. Anna. Come I on. That. I remember people were very public about their big promises. It's all for show. We're watching Performance. You. This is when it's harmful. <laughs> okay. <laughs> oh, man. I, all right. Ready? I know I'm ready. I don't really know if I can hold the whole 60 seconds, but, you know, I, I'm going to try. You got this. Okay, ready? Your time starts now. Is it just me, or is there a fine line between being empathetic with people and what they're going through and making excuses for their behavior, their negative impact and influence on others? I think we as a culture, it's so good that we have become, in the workplace, in in our daily lives in general, have become more empathetic and compassionate to understanding and kind of in taking that idea that everybody's going through something, you can't imagine what it is and you have to step outside yourself and be empathetic to what they're going through. But sometimes that can really push the boundary and lead into making excuses for bad behavior, for people acting out, for people harming other people. And I think we need to draw the line between where we are being just good, empathetic humans, friends, coworkers, and when we are making excuses to let be lenient or let bad behavior continue. Boom. Boom. Right at the minute. I am so glad you said this one. <laughs> this is my toxic trait. If so, truly, if someone is being awful, I will justify. I will bend mm-hmm. over backwards to justify why it is okay. Mm-hmm. 
And mm. my partner has to remind me, like, no, that person was not nice to you. Like, right. it's very great to be empathetic. But if someone is not nice to you, you can feel a certain type of way about that. And that is okay. Yes, yes, 100%. And I think it's especially hard for people who are very observant, people who mm. are very caring, people who are self-aware, because we can carry a lot of that and say, oh, I know that person's been dealing with a hard week. I know what the backstory is. You see everything from all angles. And you have to remind yourself, as your partner says, to see it from your own angle, too. Your own angle is just as valid. So, you know, draw the line, guys. Question The question of the week, go ask yourself, where in my life am I giving up too much empathy and starting to make excuses? And it might draw some interesting, interesting outcomes for you, interesting answers. I'm going to ask myself that this week. I'll, I'll circle back. Let you guys know. <laughs> All right. We did it. We did it. This has been a very amazing episode. Great conversation. Thank you so much, Hannah, for joining us, for dropping the knowledge, for mm. breaking it down gingerbread person to gingerbread person to gingerbread person. Yes. Thank you for having me. This was <laughs> tons of fun. All right, y'all. We'll see you on the next one. See you next time. Bye. Bye.